was. But to me, this psalm is written by a man who has already been through so many dark times in his life, all of which God has delivered him from. David had practical experience of every single trial that he talks about here. It's not really a set of, please help me, Lord, but rather a series of, look what the Lord has done for me. Look what he can do for you. There are three creeds get my teeth in today, there are three key Christian themes that I want to look at this morning. Trust, devotion, and obedience. Now, obedience should be the easiest one because there are so many soldiers and army chaplains in here that for you guys, obedience should be second nature. Yet, most of us are anything but obedient. So these themes are very applicable to each one of us this morning And David's words come to us from a life of deep love and devotion to God and the resultant outworking of that love in his life. In spite of all David's trials, self-inflicted or otherwise, we know that King David was a man after God's own heart. It says in 1 Samuel, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And in Acts chapter 13, it says, When he had removed him, he made David their king. In this testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my wishes. David loved God more than anything else, including his life, and he obeyed all of his commandments. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says to us, Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom, do not let the mighty boast in their might, do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth, but let those who boast, boast in this that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. He had learned to hate sin as God hates sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he grieved over sin, and David knew what sin was and what God's punishment was. Therefore, the characteristics of this author in this psalm, I think Psalm 27 can be viewed more as a devotional song than a whine about being in trouble. If we look at trust first, verse 1 through to 3, It's almost a brag about what the Lord has done and is capable of. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. 
Now, these words that he says are intensely personal. And if we read the life of David in the Bible, we see he had wars. He had people turn against him, his own son, his generals. His wives were taken from him. He went through a lot, yet God delivered them from all of them. You can read in 1 and 2 Samuel of those battles that David had with his wives. But at the end of all of those, he has known the goodness, the loving kindness of the Lord towards him in all of those trials. But he has also learned of the discipline of the Lord, especially through the death of his firstborn son that he had in adultery with Bathsheba. Because of all these things, David has no one that he can fear. And this is the only place in the Old Testament, apparently, according to all the intelligentsia, that God has actually described his light in this one psalm. Even though David perhaps was and had been in trouble in this psalm, he does not fear it because he is the Lord's and the Lord was his. He reaffirms this, the Lord is therefore his stronghold place where his life is protected from all comers. Of whom shall I be afraid? Indeed, he says, those who are against me, they are going to be the ones who fall and stumble, not me. What do we say to God when we are in similar circumstances? When we are going through the trials of this life, Do we trust him and love him as Jesus did? Remembering that Jesus Christ is our light and salvation, do we claim him as a stronghold in times of trial and trouble? Or do we allow ourselves to become afraid, complain about the Lord, blame him for what's going on, or even play at being good, solid religious folk but we have no real depth of love and devotion to Jesus Christ. We have a love of what happens here in this building in our church on a Sunday morning, having a coffee afterwards and a, and a drink of water and chat to our mates and then go home to our Sunday lunch. In all of David's psalms, even when he is in the depth of despair, one thing shines through his unshakable trust in God. So often we can be the absolute opposite of that. As soon as trouble rears its head, we start to whine and moan and blame God for all of those problems. We have so little trust in Jesus to take us through those things. I doubt of any of us have ever experienced some of the trials that David actually went through and didn't complain. And we know no trial is pleasant. We want them to end as quickly as possible. But they are given to us for a reason. They are allowed to happen to us for a reason. So that our faith will be refined. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials. 
so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can we sing praises to the Lord when we're in the midst of a trial? Do we understand what is happening to us when we go through a trial? We can stand here, we can sing worship songs about our love to God, we can read books about others' deep devotion to God. Can we genuinely say we are like this? Do we want to be like this? When we are in the midst of a fiery trial, can we hear the Lord say to us, as he did to Peter, do you love me? In the midst of this trial, do you love me? Will we praise him in the trial? David had endured many trials, and yet he was certain of God's love towards him, in spite of all of the sin in his life and the direct disobedience he had. If we look at devotion, David demonstrates his devotion to the Lord explicitly by wanting to be where the Lord was. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Earlier in Psalm 26, he says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Other authors in Scripture felt the same way. The sons of Korah, Psalm 84, opening verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The two disciples on the Emmaus Road. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were our hearts not burning within us? as he was talking to us on the road, and when he was opening the scriptures to us. Is our devotion like this? Do you desire to be here with your brothers and sisters? Is it a yearning in your heart? Does your soul ache to be where Jesus is? Worship should come from our grateful hearts, as we've sung this morning. It should come from our devotion for all that Jesus Christ has done for us. It comes from our love for him. As good as say is and the band, without our heart involvement in worship, we just stand there and stare at these magnificent screens and sing. But we sing in a meaningless way. If we need a rock concert to lift us into times of worship, then we are in the wrong place. We worship a triune God, and he desires worship from love, from deep within our souls. Do we desire to be with our brothers and sisters in his dwelling place? Wherever that may be. We have a prayer meeting coming up in the morning. Traditionally in this country, the most poorly attended meeting in any church is the prayer meeting. And it is the prayer meeting where the work of the Christian is done. That's where we should be. We can get there. 
if we're not entirely devoted to God, how can we love each other? How can we care for each other? The church then just becomes a club, a place we go to meet our mates, sing a few songs, listen to the minister drone on for 20 minutes or so, have a coffee and get out of here as quickly as possible to get back to our Sunday lunch. If that is your experience of church, then the fault lies with you, not with the minister. Paul describes the church as a collection of body parts, doesn't he? Each part's got to work properly in order for the whole thing to work. Those of you who are younger and don't wake up in the morning moaning and groaning because something else has gone ping during the night, you go to the gym, don't you? You go to the gym, you exercise, you run. You train your body, you build your body up, you keep it in peak condition. Why don't we do the same thing with our spiritual body? Why don't we work at that and keep that where it ought to be? The remainder of this psalm continues as a prayer for continued favour in the ongoing trials that David was suffering with. We have an enemy who will continually battle against us. He's lost the war. He lost the war at Calvary on the cross. But there are still many battles to be fought. And like any wounded animal, he fights without water. So we need to defend each other without water. Have you noticed how the trials that you suffer are intensely personal to you? Come through sickness, through family, whatever it might be. Our enemy knows where to hurt us. David gives us a couple of clear ways to cope with these through our third and final point this morning. Obedience. He says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. We need to do the same thing every day in prayer, in scripture, in meeting together, sharpening each other, encouraging each other. David asked that the Lord would not turn his face away in anger or cast him off or forsake him. This is because of sin. We've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, yes. We are all saved, but we are still sinners. We still sin. And for some, there is still unrepented, continual sin that needs to be dealt with. We have the Holy Spirit, the Helper. He is a sensitive soul. Sin will quench him. He's still in there, he's still with you, but he's not as active in you because you're not listening out for him because you're more interested in your sin. If we want the full power of the Holy Spirit to work within us, we must seek the face of the Lord every single day and to seek the manner of his word fresh each day. In verse 11, David asks the Lord, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Holy Spirit is what helps us here. The things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We learn together in church, in our home groups, in our times of personal devotion, when we are with each other, when the ladies are meeting in groups, when we pray together. We continually learn. We learn from each other. And the Spirit is always up moving within us. When you start to pray harder, 
when you start to seek his face with more depth. Don't be surprised at the kickback from the enemy. Those attacks will get fiercer. And we fight against the enemy better together than we can standing apart. If you are under attack right now, if you are going through a serious trial, remember, you're doing something that the enemy doesn't like. He doesn't want you to do it, and he's going to try and stop you doing it. But also then take heart, because he doesn't like it. It means you are doing the right thing. If you're not doing anything that's going to affect the enemy, he'll leave you alone. When I was a pastor at the chapel, a few folk used to say, well, I don't know what all this talk about struggle is, because nothing ever happens in my life, it's great. Well, then you're probably not walking with Jesus in the way you ought to. You should be asking yourself, what am I not doing that I should be doing? By learning the ways of the Lord, by seeking his face and being part of the church, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. And if we are in the right place, the church becomes even more powerful than she already is. God demands of us complete devotion. He demands complete obedience. But above all things, he wants us to come to him in love. Not out of fear. He wants us to come to him because we love him. We love him for what he's done for us to save us. Remember what he says in the greatest commandments in Matthew 29. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. When you get up in the morning, you hide from yourself. You don't bother looking at yourself in the mirror. If you see yourself in the mirror walking down the street, do you duck into a sideway to avoid being seen by yourself like you might do somebody you don't want to talk to? David finally reminds us to wait on the Lord. The Bible calls on those of the household of faith often to wait upon the Lord in both the Old and the New Testament. In fact, the word wait occurs between 116 and 158 times in the Bible, depending on the website you look at or the theologian you listen to. We live in a society, don't we, that doesn't like or believe in waiting. We get food from fast food louts, and we don't like having to wait for our burger more than the prescribed five minutes. Otherwise, we get incredibly stroppy. We now live in a world where online shopping is what counts. We can feel frustrated when things don't go right, wishing we'd used Amazon Prime instead of FedEx or UPS. We keep leaving it at the wrong house or the wrong name. In Scripture, wait has a different meaning. The word wait means to hope, to anticipate, and to trust. The hope and trust in the Lord requires faith, patience, humility, meekness, long-suffering, keeping his commandments, and enduring to the end. To wait upon the Lord means planting the seed of faith and nourishing it. So the act of waiting upon the Lord is not passive. It is an active undertaking. So in summary, as we close, Psalm 27 has a lot to teach us about our own walk on the way and that of our church too. 
David outlines for us those three key points. We need to trust the Lord, we need to be devoted to the Lord, and we need to be obedient to what we hear. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now that is a warning not only to the church in Ephesus, but to this church, to each and every single one of you. In the early days, the Ephesians warmly embraced all who named the Lord in faith. As their zealous orthodoxy grew, they became suspicious and harsh of others who were not in their church. This led to a coldness towards their love for Jesus because they loved what they were doing in the church more than Christ. And as a result, they lost affection for other Christians. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So, brothers and sisters, we must build on what Psalm 27 teaches us and other scriptures so we may be able to fulfill the great commandment, to build this church and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ into the places where we live. You are not in Amesbury Baptist Church by accident. God has brought you here. Each one of you has a gift that you need to be using in the service of each other and in the service of this church. There are the mechanics that we need to have happen in this church to keep it running safely as a place of worship. But don't deny or not turn up for the spiritual work, because that is for us. We are all, if you remember what it says, we are all priests to our God. Priests serve God and serve the people. Support this church because this is where God wants you. It may not be perfect. It may not have all of the things you want to see in a church. But it does because it has you. It has the people. God has blessed us with a fantastic building, great location. This church can only grow if we grow as individuals. And that is not just Barry's responsibility. It is our responsibility to do that, to build that love and devotion. And when you're there, you will find the power of the Spirit works so magnificently in this church. And this church is growing, and we are seeing things that God is doing in this collection of folk, in the local community, which is fantastic. But it says, whatever we're doing, we need to do more of it and more powerfully. Amen? Right.